If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. And we're going to read a portion of, uh, of the, of the uh, uh, Easter event together. So let me, uh, let me read it for you. Starting kind of in the middle, but I, wanna, I want you to hear these words as we come through it together. Verse 27, or 45, sorry. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabbath, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling out for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on the reed stuck, stick, on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and released his, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after. after cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. A Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened, and they said, this man truly was the Son of God. Many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. As the evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb watching. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remembered that the deceiver once said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and telling everyone he had raised from the dead. If that happens we will be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it, to it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. May the Lord add his 
blessing to the reading of this word. If you have, um, before we look at God's word, I want to just uh, pray for you. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, as we come to this Good Friday, we have all kinds of mixed emotions. For some, it's like, I've heard this story before. For others, it's like, remind me again. For some, it's like, I, I don't know who this Jesus is. And for others, this is Jesus, my Savior. I would ask that as we visit this Good Friday, we would understand what it meant for Jesus to come and why he came and who he came for. Let us remember. Let us appreciate. Let us be a grateful people. I'd ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was preparing um, this devotional this morning, I came across a story, and I had no intention of kind of looking at it or using it, but it kind of stuck with me. Today is April 7th. Um, I'm going to take you to April 15th, so eight days away. In eight days, it will be the 111th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. I don't know if you remember that whole story. It was the unsinkable ship. It was the, it was the flagship. It was the, the new and approved. Nothing was like it. But on April 15th, 1912, this ship is sailing across the Atlantic. It is full. It has more passengers than it's supposed to have. And if you know a little bit of the history, they had a whole bunch of lifeboats around the sides, but they had decided on its first sailing to take a whole bunch of lifeboats off because it would hinder the people's view from their cabins. And so they had taken off a whole bunch of lifeboats. It's 2.20 a.m. in the morning. Everybody's in bed, everybody's asleep skeleton crew of, of, of the captain and his, and his ships and they ram right into an iceberg. It will take two hours and 20 minutes for that ship to sink into the water and disappear to incredibly depth, incredible deep depth. Now think about that. You're in bed, you're asleep, and suddenly the alarms are going off all over the place and you're confused and you, you, you've been so confident this thing will never sink and, and, and what's going on? And, 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 and so you, you put on basic clothes, maybe a house coat and, and jammas, maybe, maybe you had time to get dressed and you, you start to pour out onto the deck and, and the sailors are screaming and yelling and directing and there's confusion and all of those kind of things. There's actually 20 lifeboats. On that boat, there are 2,240 people plus 700 staff sailors. In the next two hours and 40 minutes, this ship will sink. 
and they have to get those people off as fast as they can. There's absolute confusion. Some of the boats are, are, are half filled and they drop them into the water. Others are overloaded and they load them with as many people as they can and, and try to drop it into the water. They get into the water and there's so many people juggling around that literally these things over, over, over capsize. But what was interesting as I started to read it, I actually was reading a, a, a story by name Eva Hart, who was part of this. She was in one of these lifeboats, actually lifeboat number 14. As they watched as different people reacted to this situation, 705 people will be rescued of the 2,240. Many of the sailors will stay on the ship and just go down knowing that they won't survive in the cold water and that the passengers are more, and that was their commitment, so they would die that day by giving their life so others could be saved. Others didn't get into boats, and they're, they're jumping into the water and panicking, and, and some, some find uh, some of the lifeboats, six of the lifeboats either sunk or, or were over, over turned over, and some would crawl on top of them, others would look for things that were happening. But as I'm reading Eva, the interesting thing is that 14 of these, these lifeboats filled with people, or half filled with people, start to move away from the ship because of the vortex they're afraid of. As the ship is going down, it's going to start to create this vortex, and whoever is close to this ship will get sucked down with the boat. And so these lifeboats are quickly trying to paddle away. Eva's in one of these lifeboats. And, and their boat is only half full. And they hear the cries and they hear the screams and they hear the pleading of the people that, uh, I, I've jumped in the water, I need help, who's going to help me? And, 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 and for, for almost a whole hour they listen to this as the boat sinks and then disappears in the water. Of the 14 lifeboats still floating, two of them go back to see if they can save some people. The rest are so afraid that if they go back, they'll be overwhelmed and turned over and they will die too. It takes about an hour for another sea liner to turn up and, and many of those people who are in the water are overcome with, with cold and die. Others are sitting. Can you imagine? You're in the middle of the, of the ocean and, 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 and it's freezing and you've got a house coat and jammas on and you're sitting in this boat and it's like absolute silence except for screams and yells and they disappear. And then it's still. And what's going to happen to you? And people are crying and people are screaming and people are upset and what, what do we do? And Finally, an hour after the ship had sunk, the Titanic had sunk, another ship came and rescued them. But it would still take four hours for them to find all the lifeboats and get them up onto, into their ship and into a place that's warm. 2,000 2,240 people, passengers, and only 704 survived. As I was reading this, I started to realize 
of the panic and the fear and the anxiety and the confusion that was going on. Would I have taken my boat back to try to rescue people, thinking I was going to be sucked down into the vortex or, or not? Was that selfish? Was that not? All of those questions and, that would plague people for years to come. This morning, as we get to the Good Friday event, that same confusion and fear was happening. Now, I, I don't want you to miss the reality of what was going on in these last days. This excitement was starting to accentuate. Jesus had been walking with his disciples for three years now. He had been, he had been teaching incredible things, and the people by the thousands were flocking. He had been doing miracles and healings and, and even resurrections occasionally, and, 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 and people were just thrilled by him. But, but even as, as, as the three years started, there started to be this rising tension because, because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, were starting to oppose him. And you could see in the culture this, this tension started to happen. As we get closer to this event, a, a massive resurrection takes place. Lazarus, who's been in the grave for days, is brought back out of, uh, out of the grave alive. He's walking around, and he walks, walks not only through his town, he walks into Jerusalem, and, and, and his very presence proclaims who Jesus is. The night before the triumphal entry, they have a banquet and a celebration, and Mary comes and anoints Jesus' feet. A sacred thing, expensive thing, not knowing that in the next day this would be the anointing of his body for the grave. But, but the next day as they come out, Jesus asked them to get some donkeys and, and, and he would ride, ride a colt and, and, and suddenly people from all over Jerusalem who'd come for the Passover meal would start to celebrate and there'd be palm leaves and there'd be... There'd be uh, jackets and, and, and cloaks thrown on the ground and people would shout, shout and sing and, and hallelujah, the Messiah has come and Jesus finally had proclaimed that he was king and was allowing them to recognize who he was. The Pharisees are, are grumbling and screaming, why are you letting this happen? And the people are shouting in celebration and the disciples are so excited and you see this energy rising. Jesus enters, the, enters Jerusalem, and, and literally as he comes into Jerusalem, he goes directly to the temple, and the money changers are there, and, and, and for the second time, if you read the various gospels, for the second time, he drives them out, he cleans them out, proclaiming his authority, that this is my father's house. And excitement keeps rising, and then we pinnacle at the Last Supper. And everything changes. As we come to this Last Supper, you can see the disciples looking at one another throughout the meal saying, what's he saying? What's he doing? 
If you remember, Steve took us to the Last Supper last week, and I don't know if you noticed what he said. He said the disciples came into the supper room. Jesus had had several of the disciples prepare, and someone had prepared the, this Passover meal, and they were coming to celebrate the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, and this was so fitting because he was going to deliver them from the Romans. And they sat down at the table. I don't know if you've ever had a big family event. You know, you have this large table and everybody comes and everybody's been cooking all day and everything finally gets on the table and everybody gets a chair and grandpa or dad sits down at one end and prays and starts. Well, that's kind of what was happening. They would come in and, and, and they all had a place they wanted to sit as close to Jesus as they could because the closer you were to Jesus, the more powerful you would be or influential. And as they sat, Jesus sat with them and looked around. And this is what the Bible says. He got up from the table and went over to the entry, the door, because there was a bowl and, and towels you see, the disciples hadn't want to put themselves in the least position because then they'd be at the end of the table. They, they would be the most insignificant. They were all vying for power. And then Jesus gets up and he gets these things and he starts washing their feet. It's like, what? You're washing my feet? That's what servants do. You're, you, you are the king. We have just proclaimed you. You're the Messiah. Jesus starts to speak. And it's like, what is he saying? The, the least will be his greatest. And, and, and then he sits down after he's, he's washed each of their feet. And, and, and they start to eat. And out of this meal that's very regimented, very laid out, he will pull a cup and he'll pull some bread and he'll pass it around and he'll say, this is my body, eat in remembrance of me. What? What's he saying? This is my blood. Blood, drink in remembrance of me. Now we understand what that meant, but they were, would have been absolutely confused. But it got worse. Because then Jesus turns to them and says, one of you is going to betray me. And you see, you see this jostling going, it was, it's, it's not me, it's, it, is it you? And, and, and you see the, this debate going on. And, 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 and later on, Matthew tells us that he'll also say, and all of you are going to desert me. Peter, as you remember, We've been studying Peter. Stands up and says, well, it's, it, it's not me. I'll, 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 I will never deny you. Can you imagine Peter when Jesus looks at him and he says, tonight, three times. Before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. You can see, it like, like a balloon with the air kind of sink. It's like, What? And, and, and then they would finish the meal and they would be confused and, and not sure how to respond and, and what to say and, and, and then they would go to the garden. 
it seems that Jesus would ask the group to pray, and then he would take several of them a little closer to where he was praying and ask them to pray for him, and they fell asleep. Gets up, rebukes them. Gets up, rebukes them. It's like, I can't do anything right, can I? What's going on, Jesus? We were so high, and now... But it wasn't over. You will suddenly hear sounds coming closer to you. And as you look, you will see soldiers coming. As you read the various passages, it's unclear whether it's Jewish soldiers or Roman soldiers or a mix of soldiers. But they came, and the Bible says they were armed with swords and clubs. They were coming for business. They were not to be put off. They were not to be, to be shoved away. They, they were ready to put anybody who resisted them down. And they were led by a man who was sent by the chief priests and the elders. And we all knew who he was. It was Judas. Judas walks up and kisses Jesus. And Jesus says, do what you came for. Now there's various events that go on and, and, you know, Peter pulls out a sword and all of that and Jesus rebukes him, but then the disciples run. And Jesus is dragged away and he's taken, first of all, to the, the house of the Sadducees, the, 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 the high priest and, 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 and his father-in-law, and Caiaphas. And, and you see a, a set of Jewish trials starting to happen as they try to find reasons to condemn him. When it's early in the morning, they, they, they drag him out to Pilate. And, and Pilate says... I've interviewed this guy. There's nothing, he's not done anything wrong, especially nothing worth death. And they keep after him. And he tries to make a deal with Barabbas. And they, they, they keep going after him. And then he finds out the Jewish Jesus is from Galilee. Well, that, that's Herod Antipas, and he's in town. And he sends him to, and Herod was waiting for a miracle, and Jesus did nothing for him. And so Herod sends him back to Pilate. And finally, Pilate looks at him after the court case, after court case, after court case. I find no fault in him. I'm washing my hands of him. And they take him out to be crucified. Imagine if you're a disciple at that moment. We know that Peter and John were following Jesus throughout this whole thing. We also know that by the time Jesus is to the cross, other disciples and followers, especially the women, had gathered and were coming to be with him till the very end. His mother. Other Marys. Followers who've been with him for years. Can you imagine the agony of Mary who had birthed Jesus? Lord, what is this? What's going on? I started to realize that in this whole thing is this incredible crisis. What do we do? What do we say? How do we stop this? How do, how do, how do, we, how do we intervene? How do we feel? 
We, we, we were so high, and, and it's, it's within hours just shattered and fallen apart. And he's now being dragged off to a cross. He's being laid down upon a cross. He's being nailed to the cross. The cross is being lifted up and dropped into the hole between two sinners, two rebels, two men who deserve to die versus one innocent lamb. He had been beaten. He had been mocked. In fact, if you follow the trial, there's this rude arrogance by, by his captors through the whole thing. Even at his trial in this, the house of Sandino, when he didn't answer the way that they wanted to him, the guards would come up and slap Jesus. And later on, they, they would take a whip and they would beat Jesus almost to the point that he became so weak he couldn't carry his cross. There were times that they mocked him. They put robes on him and crown of thorns and through the whole thing. And finally, he is now on the cross. It's interesting. One of the things that they keep saying is, this is the king of the Jews. Pilate says it. And Jesus, as he's on the cross, a plaque is put there, king of the Jews. Pharisees get all upset. No, 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 he says he is. No, this is what I've written. And then the hours. The pouring out of blood. The gambling of his robe. Those who loved him at the foot of the cross. It's interesting as, as we're going through this because all of this was not about any crime he'd done, any sin that he had committed. When John began his ministry, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now this Lamb would die for all of us. As, as we read in, in, into the book of Acts and into the epistles, and, and we, we will hear this expressed again and again and again, that, that, that Jesus came because he was the spotless, he was without sin. Because someone had to die for you and me. Someone had to take our sin upon him. And so when he died, the whole world, the sin of the world was poured upon him. Now as we get to next week, not this Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to hear about some things that took place that aren't reported in the Gospels, but you've got to come back for that. But I want you to hear this. He was crucified for you and I. But as I was reading through the stories, I came across a portion that kind of stuck out to me. And I, I'm like you. I've read this many, many, many times, preached on it many, many, many times. But it kind of struck me as interesting contrast. Because as you start to hear about him, he is brought to the cro he's brought to the tomb. He, they, they, ha they ask permission to take his body down because he is now dead. The, the soldiers testify to that. And, 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 and Pilate gives permission to that. And, and, and imagine yourself being Mary or John or Peter at, at the base of the cross trying to pull the cross out and lower it down and how to get Jesus off of, off of the, 
the spikes that have been placed upon him. And they carry him to the tomb. They wash him as fast as they can because they're running out of time. They, they have to have this done before Passover starts. And, the, and they wrap him in a roll, in a, in a cloth, and another cloth around his head. And he's buried. It struck me as I was watching this story unfold again. I wonder how I would have felt as I stood outside that tomb and the rock was placed in as if it was done. Where do you go? What do you say? Who, who do you need to be with? How, how do you understand this? The disciples, it would seem, would gather into the upper room, maybe the same room the Passover meal was held, trying desperately to understand this. But as I was reading this story again, I found this incredible contrast. You see, there's on the one side, there's the disciples. And they're they're just, there's so many words that we could use to describe them. They're, they're depressed, they're despondent, they're confused, they're dazed, they're, they're grief-stricken, they're traumatized, they're distraught, they're hopeless, helpless uh, and defeated and overwhelmed. It's like all of these emotions are, and they don't know what to do. I don't know if you've ever been with people in intense grief, intense shock. They're sitting in that upper room, probably not speaking. Even Peter, Mr. Kind of Motormouth, it's like, I don't know what to say. But here's what's an interesting contrast. Pharisees were on the opposite end of that. They, they started to remember what Jesus had said. They, 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 they came to Pilate and they said, Jesus said that what was going to happen is that he would, be, he, would be ma he would be in a tomb. Well, let's read it. Luke chapter 18, 18 verse 31, 32. The Son of Man will be handed over to the gentle. They will mock him, insult him, spit up him, flog him, kill him, and on the third day he'll rise again. And while the disciples are confused and despondent and all of those emotions are going on, the, 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 the Pharisees are terrified. He's risen people from the dead. He's raised them. He's healed the sick. He's healed the worst of diseases like leprosy. He has authority and he has power. He's made this prophecy, this prediction. He's repeated it again and again. The disciples have forgot. The Pharisees haven't. What if it happens? So they're going to make sure. Well, well, how will this... What if the disciples break into that tomb and steal the body and then say he's risen? What are we going to do then? Okay. Pilate, can you send some guards? Now, if this is Pilate, these are Roman guards. If they fail in their duty, they die. These guys are serious stuff. Then he puts a Roman seal across the, 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 the rock. You can't break that without massive consequences. So here's the ones who should remember forgetting 
involved in all of their grief. Here's ones who thought they had won living in absolute fear. And then Saturday comes. Have you ever lived on an in-between? Have you ever lived in a situation where something had happened to you? Maybe it was like this, an incredible loss. Maybe it was a situation that brought you pain and brought you anguish and brought you sorrow and brought you frustration. And What's happening in my situation or my life? And then there's what I would call this time in between. Can you imagine being a disciple in that upper room? You've just left the tomb. You've gathered together. Do, do you want something to eat? No, I'm not hungry. How about to drink? No, I'm all right. And you just kind of sit there. And then the next day, now, what you don't know is God has victory planned for the next day. He's going to turn it all around with such a dramatic thing. It will affect all of eternity. It will affect all of mankind. It will be, God has a plan. But they're living in that in-between. That may be you even today. God, I, I don't know what you're doing with me. I, I, I don't know. I, I, have, I, I have hurt or I have grief or I have confusion or I, all of those things and you're living on that in between. There's hope because for each of us, God has a plan. And the first part of that plan is his salvation. But we have to wait for those three days. We have to wait for that, and we're going to revisit the tomb, for the rock will be gone, and everything will be changed. I came across a story the other day of the Civil War in the States. Terrible time, awful. Uh, loss of life and pain and suffering. And <laughs> the story is told of, of a man, and he had three or four little children. He had just lost his wife. She had gotten sick and suddenly passed away. And he's sitting there with his children saying, I, I don't know what to do. And there's a knock on his door, and it's a soldier from the army saying, You've just been enlisted to come and fight in our civil war. But, 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 I, but I have these kids. I, 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 who's going to take care of my children? You've been enlisted. You need to come. This story says that as this man tried to work his way through this, story, he said, I, I can't just abandon my children. What do I do? Another young man in the community heard about this and he said, I have no wife and I have no children. I'm, I'm young, but I will take his place. And so he made arrangements with the, with the military. He says, if, if he can stay and take care of his children, I will take his place and go. 
And so the military accepted that, and this young man put on the uniform and went to fight in the Civil War. He lasted one battle. Then at that battle, he lay dead. This, this man he'd, he'd replaced heard about this, and he got a wagon, and he went out to the battlefield, and he searched around until he found the young man's body, put it in the back of his wagon, and hauled it all the way home. Got there, and they went to the graveyard, dug a tomb, and he actually carved out a tombstone. And on the bottom of the tombstone, he carved these words. He died for me. If you're here today, and if you've asked Jesus Christ into your heart and life, he died for you. If you haven't, there's an invitation. For he died for you too, if you will invite Jesus into your heart and life. But that's not the rest of the story. I invite you to come back. I'd invite you to come back on Sunday morning as we listen to the rest of the story. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, the pain, the sacrifice, the cost, because you love us and want to spend eternity with us. Lord, I would ask that you would remind us afresh of what you did so that we could live. I'd ask that you would encourage us so that we may know that our God reached down and died for us. I'd ask this in Jesus' name.